Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Christopher Sunyata. Christopher coaches people on how to lean into intensity while still remaining open and relaxed, no matter how challenging life gets. He also teaches us how to expand our success that we might experience at work into success with family and intimate relationships. He draws on decades of practice and study under masters of yoga, Taoist exercises, and Buddhist meditation. Christopher, can you talk a little bit about your background, the work you do, and how you got into it? Sure. Uh, I'd say it really started over 20 years ago when The Way of Superior Man was published, and I was in a, my first men's group ever. And one of the men brought it in, and we worked with that content for about a year, honestly, reading chapters, coming back every week or two, and seeing how we could implement in our lives. And it really turned <laughs> up the intensity in that men's group. We, um, it wasn't a popular topic, and there were a lot of hidden, I would say, dysfunctionality going on, and particularly a lot of our marriages. And it was radically eye-opening to me. I mean, for the first time, I started seeing um, what I was doing to contribute to issues that I thought were just because I had a reactive female I was married to. Um, I really wasn't navigating the energies and providing the right kind of leadership in the relationship. And, you know, there were some other challenging things going on, like having a child with disabilities. But um, bottom line, there was me discovering and finding out more of my authentic masculine core and how I could give that as a as something that made the intimacy hotter. Um, it didn't make it necessarily easier. <laughs> it, it, it definitely um, put more of the accountability in my court, whereas before I thought I was more at the affect or, um, I don't know, the result of all the chaos around me, if that makes sense. Um, and then from there, it just kept building. Yeah. You talked about how you contributed to some of the dysfunction. I'm wondering if you could explain what that means. And then um, when you say things weren't easier, can you explain what that means as well? Sure. So a lot of my contribution was part of the mental frame of not understanding the radically different way that say a deep feminine being would approach um problem resolution and intimacy i mean this is probably a lot of what you discovered early on in in dating and being a dating coach but it, it went deeper um in terms of the my wife at the time was i mean i i was a pretty stable kind of big solid body guy so i attracted a person who had a lot more emotional ups and downs and the classic mistake of the masculine trying to get through to solving things and getting to where everything's resolved and smooth and copacetic. But the feminine was actually wanting to feel the intensity of love in the relationship. And they didn't care sometimes whether it was a good moment or an intense moment. Um, they wanted to feel that, you know, attention and intensity. And if I wasn't providing it as a, you know, a structured evening or some 
thing that would serve us, then it would build up and we'd have a blow up and she would get the attention she wanted. But it, I was reinforcing a negative way of her getting that attention. And some of these are familiar patterns that we had from childhood. That's how we saw our parents do this. Um, but it was completely unsatisfying. I mean, you know, you're, you think you're a evolving person and you start seeing the same patterns coming up from your parents manifesting through your body and through your mouth. And, and you're like, you're a whore. So how did you actually get through that? Um, and taking the position of where I was identified more with the direction of where everything was going, um, actually learning this yoga of transcending reactivity. So it necessarily meant coming back into my body. I would always try to solve things from a intellectual or philosophical standpoint. I'm, I'm kind of a thinker. I was an engineer back then and, you know, read a lot of self-help books. Um, there was a belief that I could somehow figure this out if I had the right strategy or the right tools and I'd be able to navigate it properly and all the pain and chaos of my relationship go away. That's not the case. It, it's a, it's a yoga of finding out what's arising in the moment and learning how to actually conduct it much through my body and through the communication body to body of presence, whether I'm doing it with my wife or whether I'm doing it with my children. So that was huge. Um, and you know, the, one of the first things that I really got from David data was the importance of breath. And, and it was years later to what I actually did a first workshop and got feedback from a lot of different women around and men too, around your level of trustability was directly tied to how embodied you were, meaning how deep your consciousness was being expressed through your body and your form. And primary to that was your breath. And that sounds ridiculously simple. And, but it was, it, it was proven over and over again. And when I got into it, um, with more inner work, I found that my breath was actually reflecting my fears. It was reflecting the tension I've been carrying in my body for decades. Um, and so that I'll let it give you a chance to reply on that. But, um, that was, that was the entrance point. You talked about breath and body and, and the trauma you're carrying around in your body. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that trauma, about how you carried it in the body and how you were aware, how you became aware of it and how that affected your breath. Sure. Well, I had a pretty dramatic event happen when I was five. I was in a was playing around like I was pretending to drive a car and you know, five, I couldn't touch the pedals or anything. I'm just playing with the steering wheel and the gear shift lever. And somehow I, back in those days, you didn't have to have the keys and ignition to move the automatic transmission out of gears. So it moved into neutral and this thing started rolling back down a hill backwards and um, picked up a lot of speed. It was out in the country and buddy in the car bailed really fast. He was a little older than me. I panicked. And when it hit the road at the bottom of the street and the car kind of launched itself into a creek, um, I was ejected from the car, got pinned underneath the car door and um, basically died. I had a tree in the back, you know, underneath my back and the car sank on me and my mom found out I had to go get a um, someone to jack the car up off my body and then they resuscitated me. So I had this near death experience 
and a real panic around not being able to breathe. I still remember, well, when I did some, you know, hypnosis and some other uh, breath work of memories of that suffocation came back. Um, and profoundly it came back in my first day of a data workshop. He did a connected breathing practice, very similar to holotropic breath work or rebirthing. And I re-experienced that um, suffocation. Wow. And it suppressed it and remember it. And it it was a tightness in my chest that I'd carried. I got a big chest, but it was kind of caved in, shoulders rolled forward. Um, there was a real cramp and fear around life that came back. And somehow, you know, David holding space when he was leading that practice, I just felt totally open into love. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night um, after that and just sobbing. And something had released. There had been literally trauma I'd been carrying around um, my whole life with that. You know, I was in my, well, almost in my 40s at that point. Wow. Uh, and through more Hatha yoga work, meditation practices, I've been able to literally release that. Um, and I'd say that's probably one of my gifts that when I work with clients, because I know what it's like to walk around for decades with trauma in my body, and I know what it took to unlock that and to release it. And the profound love I felt from the teacher who had actually did that, um, I've been able to pay it forward numerous times. And, um, and there's a, a body knowing that I have when I, I see clients or people in workshops. Um, a lot of your whole history is actually expressed in your breath. And my Hatha yoga teacher is masterful at this. Um, she'll keep guiding us into a place where we hit the level of intensity where you want to check out. So you're, you're in a state of almost re-triggering panic and I can't do this. And yet, you know, from her expertise and wisdom that she's not going to put you in anything that's literally going to harm you. So you feel held in love while you're doing something really challenging. Um, and yet it, your egoic sense of self will flash really intense in those moments and you'll want out. And it's the part of you that you identify with. Like, I want the hell out of here. Um, that's the part that needs to soften and be transcendent. And that's, you can experience that in a Hatha yoga moment. And then it's also right at that point is where sexual yoga, you can take sexual intimacy profoundly deeper as the exact same feel. Do you check out and close down physically tighten, or do you somehow find a way to feel trust and, and surrender into that moment and particularly open through your body. And I do, there's just a lot of crossover between Hatha yoga done in a, a deep embodied, authentic way, not maybe marketplace yoga and deep sexual practice. So I want to get into the deep sexual practice in a second, but for people who are listening to this and they might not be familiar with some of the terms that you're using, can you explain what Hatha yoga is and, and holotropic breathing? You mentioned that as well. Um, so that people have context for what it is. Sure. Back up even a little deeper. Um, our first kind of exposure to the word yoga come from Pantanjali and 
it was a couple hundred years before what we know as of as physical yoga, yoga classes, yoga clothes, all that stuff. Um, yoga means to be at union with what is. It's yoking your consciousness, how you experience reality, and being fully present present with whatever that situation is. Now that is demonstrated often through meditation. So it's just watching whatever's arising, whether it's an emotion or physical sensation in your body and just being present with it and allowing it. And as I was saying before, um, often there's a, I don't want to sense of ourself that I don't want to sit with that. That's a nasty thought. Well, that judgment or that pushing away from what's already present. I mean, the reality is those thoughts and the sensations are already present but there's some internal perspective that's judging those and trying to, I don't know, trying to game the system to, to make those bad things go away and get more of the good stuff. And so yoga is just being fully present with whatever is arising. Now, Hatha yoga is the embodied form of yoga, of using the body as a tool to do that exploration of consciousness itself. And so classically there's, postures or asanas where you put the body into if you're not familiar with yoga i guess you haven't been around in the media at all but you know let's say a forward fold where you're bending down with the proper form to place your hands on the floor um or a downward dog most people have seen that posture or asana it's not about having a perfect representation of it. it's what arises inside of you while that postures going on the part of you that wants out the part of you is like oh my god i'm walking around all day and i didn't realize my back was feeling like that my back was feeling tense all day long and i didn't, didn't feel it um so yoga is sort of an inner dive into a lot of experience that's already going on but we're it's below the level of consciousness so i would say all yoga is about deepening our experience of awakeness in the midst of what's occurring and transcending reactivity being able and, and that is the process of love being able to be fully present with whatever's arising and giving our presence and attention to whatever it is while we're by ourselves or if we're with another person you're able to completely show up as an expression of the love witness if you will or the expression of love doing whatever is required so I would say that's yoga, hatha yoga. Then uh, holotropic breath, Stances Graf um, kind of coined that term, but there's a lot of ancient tribal practices of doing a breath practice where there's not a pause between the in, inhale and exhale, and they're done in a manner that the, the two breaths are both rather deep and um, the way I was taught it is the breath is actually kind of the mouth is open. So it might sound a little bit like you're panting. So inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And you're, it's a bit of a hyperventilation practice, but it drives a lot of oxygen into your system and it can induce um, sensations and inner psychological states that are in some ways akin to what you might experience in psychedelic drugs. That's why Stances Graf did it as a kind of an exploration after LSD became illegal. And it's also very similar to these deep trance states of openness in deep sexual yoga practice, where 
you know, it's just your body and another being, or maybe yourself turning outward toward God or whatever. You can do these solo too, but there's a, a transcendent experience that has deep meaning. And, and this is where all of the books talk about, you know, people experiencing near death experiences or having a psilocybin experience that was life changing. Um, that's accessible just through breath. And when you do that in a partner practice or in a group setting, um, you were talking about community a little while earlier that it, it creates that love thickness in the air, if you will. It, people have peak experiences that change their lives. It's like they give them a, a taste of what's possible. Why am I on this earth? There's usually an ache and a hunger in a lot of people. And sometimes having these touchstone experiences, um, can provide that meaning and actually relax their heart, relax sort of this seeking and striving. And um, a lot of great yoga practice will bring you into that state of relaxed, being happy in your intrinsic self that maybe we only remember moments from childhood. Um, but you can rediscover that as an adult. It's awesome. I love the things that you're talking about. And um yeah, the first time I tried holotropic breathing, it was quite intense. I was, I was in, a buddy of mine. I was in Southern California, and he took me to a class. and And I've done ecstatic breathing, and I mean, other types of sort of like panting type breathings. People call them different things, but they bring up a lot of different emotions. <laughs> and uh, the first time I did it, I, I, the first time I did it, I was having images of um, the moment right before my dad died, because mm. he was on a ventilator and he was having like they were forcing the same type of breath. Right. And, right. um, I mean, other people are having all their own experiences and people are crying and upset and like, it just, it was pretty intense. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fascinating experience. And for me, it was therapeutic. So yeah, I'm just sharing that for people who haven't ever tried anything like that. I, I definitely can relate. And I would say the most reason those are so significant to people is there is uh, an intensity of emotion and feeling awareness. So uh, go back to Hatha yoga. Um, my teacher is rather unique in this area. Sophia Diaz is a master Hatha yoga teacher. And we're continually invited into the intelligence of the heart, which is the nonverbal mind. I mean, there's, they've discovered there's a brain in your stomach. There's definitely a brain in your heart. And the consciousness that is centered in the heart center is necessarily nonverbal. And if when I'm working with clients and talk to people, maybe coming after a holotropic breath experience, if I ask them to point on their body where they're feeling that profundity, that, um, you know, when you like connect with your father, um, I could almost ask you, most people tend to point to their heart or the solar plexus. There's, there's like this emotional energy that has been suppressed most of the time. And when it's released and that catharsis comes out, often the center of our body becomes much more awake and in tune. You can watch someone like this. So after someone's done holotropic breath practice, their body usually looks soft and supple in the front, much like a newborn baby. Um, so yogically, you can replicate that by what practices do I need to do to turn 
return the front surface of my body from my hairline down to the front curve of my anus? How can I soften all of that? Because that's where I'm holding my tension that particularly a lot of our mind form and accumulated stress from having our faces and phones all the time. So that it, it, there's something about returning to the body that usually gives people a lot of release and a lot of meaning. And, and there's a reason that those are pretty profound experiences for most people. Like you just shared. Um, the other thing that comes up as you say that is in my own sort of personal transformational experiences, or we'll say, we'll say before them, before I started doing a lot of the work that you described, I was quite shut down. There's a time in my life where I feel like I was pretty open and for as a consequence of a series of traumas, I started to shut down and disconnect, right? Disconnect from myself, from my body, from my feelings, uh, from the world around me. They're all different forms of suppression. And I was just trying to function and get by. And I see this a lot with clients. I see this with friends. Like I was at dinner recently and my buddy was saying he doesn't really feel emotions. And he's like, I, I feel like happy sometimes. He's like, I feel angry sometimes. I feel sad, but that's a re really about it. And he's like, I don't feel really any of them very much. And he's like, I just have just come to the point that come to the real realization that maybe that's just how I am. And, and, uh, but even as he would say, as we would talk, you would see he shifts in his movement, shifts in his breathing. I'm like, what just came up? And, uh, he'd start to say something and he would push it back down. And, and he, what he had done, I could see the same thing. He'd become disconnected from his emotions and his feelings. Um, as a way to just sort of function through life. And so when you talk about a lot, when you, as you've talked about a lot of things that you've shared so far, I hear a lot of your journey about reconnecting. Yes. Just as you were even describing your friend, there's a tendency to want to push down those emotions. There's, there's a welling up from within that feels threatening to us when we identify with mind and being in our identified as mind and thought, which is most of us do. I mean, that's where a lot of the world is when we're viewing entertainments in front of a computer, um, sitting in a car, looking out the window. We're so visually focused and auditorily focused that we're losing the intelligence of everything from the neck down. And, that's where the realm of emotions and such live. So a lot of the workshop practices that I guide are all about just directing people that, so your mind, your consciousness, you can direct your awareness more into the body and just actually feel what's going on in your belly, what's going on in your um, solar plexus. And then if there's safety around expressing it, it'll pretty naturally start rising up in most people. Um, if they're invited to actually let their awareness drop deeper into the body and be okay there, um, emotions tend to come up, but it's, it has to be in a trusting environment. So that first really happened for me in a men's group, the very first men's group. I mean, I had a daughter with uh, cerebral palsy and cognitive disabilities, and I was the strong rock of the family trying to hold it together, saying, well, she'll get, she'll let grow. We're going to do all the therapy we can. She'll be fine. And I was holding that sort of position as everything's cool and, you know, let my wife fall apart and have the worries. But I wasn't acknowledging my own fears and sadness over um, lost dreams of, you know, the perfect child that everyone wants. Um, 
And in that men's group, it was like the first time I really cried about that. I was shocked at how I had suppressed it and I couldn't even admit it to myself. Um, and it sounds almost trite when you hear it, but to go through that and be in the company of other men that usually is a sort of taboo to express how you're feeling at that level. Um, something's released and then there was that heart connection. And I would say it's even analogous to what I, a lot of people feel after they did a group polytropic breath or connected breathing practice, something opens in the heart center and it's palpable and it feels alive versus this like chronic cramp that we're walking around with. Um, I would say most people, when I'm looking at them now, when you have, once you ex open this up in your own awareness, you can see the pain and tension in other people's bodies. When you awaken to this, it's actually a little terrifying to walk out in the world because I experience a lot of people as having this profound cramp in their solar plexus. Um, I can see their shoulders hunched over, their heart hurts, it's heavy, it's aching. And the way they try to, you know, cope is to go more into distractions of mind, you know, check Facebook, play video games. Um, and it's a little bit like an alcoholic. <laughs> you can't get away from it. So going back to the definition of yoga, being okay with what is, um, actually feeling what's really present in your body and see if you can soften it and open it. That's, that's a core of the work I do with people. Um, and if you want to be in an intimacy with the partner, inviting your partner to be able to feel and go into that space, that's, that's the invitation into authentic intimacy and profound sex, frankly. Um, you know. I, I did want to comment. I don't think what you said about uh, opening up around your daughter sounds tried at all. I or the idea that around uh, opening up amongst a group of men. For me, I was shut down for a, a very long time, and the first time I felt like I really opened up was um, in a men's retreat, and that experience was quite profound for me. I I, I remember thinking, oh, I feel I'd done a lot of personal transformation work, and I was like, I feel pretty clear. And it was in the afternoon. They said, who wants, does anyone want to say anything on the side of the room? Cause no one's really gone. I saw talk and I started talking and, and after a few minutes, um, the facilitator was like, where do you feel that in your body? And I said where I felt it. And he goes, breathe into it. Just sit with it. So I closed my eyes and I started crying and that maybe was five or six minutes, seven minutes. And then he's like, where do you feel it now? And I could, I, I was scanning my body. I'm like, I feel it along my spine up into my neck. And then I started sobbing and then we went through a series of, uh, after that, experience i was given the opportunity to go deeper and we did a bunch of semantic stuff and i felt so much clearer after that experience and then also i'm a member of some men's groups and and i found them also very profound like uh i know i'd gone through a breakup at one point and and um, i could feel like the tears behind my eyes like as it had like a uh, pain for weeks and it wasn't until i was in that group that i felt the safety of having these other men who were open and supportive and um, it's amazing how the right environment can allow us to release. And in, in modern culture, as my experiences as men, like there's a pressure not to express our emotions or to stay strong or um, not to cry or not to ask for help. And But the truth is, like when we don't express and, and we do feel like we have to do everything in solitude and alone, we just start stuffing the shit back in our bodies and it sits there and percolates and we stuff it back down and like eventually it, it, it will come up one way or another. 
Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So I, I definitely connect with um, the things that you're saying, and I'm sharing this because I want listeners who might not have ever tried anything like this to be open to it. Because for me, it was fucking transformational. And going back to what you said about about love for a long time i couldn't feel love like i like i i didn't and it was after i began to release some of this trauma that i didn't even really fully know was there like i knew i had some trauma but i had been suppressing a lot of it and thought i'd work through it i had worked through a lot of it but it wasn't until i started releasing out of my body that um i began to be able to sort of feel in, in a way that i i couldn't feel before more range of more motion more granular more intensity and began and I began to be able to love in a way that um, I wasn't able to love before. And the second thing you said about connecting with other people, and this can be terrifying. I remember living in New York City. Is a, I live in New York City. It's a it's an intense place. And I remember there's a point on the subway where I stopped making eye contact with people because it was so intense. I would feel if I felt like I would feel what they were feeling, and it was so intense. Like it became overwhelming. And um, I started shutting down. There's a series of reasons I started to shut down. And, uh, but after doing some of this release work, I was able to be emotionally open in a way that I could start to feel what other people were feeling again. So I could feel my own feelings and, and start to feel that connection. So a lot of the things that you're saying, I definitely can relate to and connect with. Do you have any, any other thoughts on some of that stuff? Well, yeah, the, um, I think now more than ever, there's a real need for men's groups. There's some great ones out there. Um, and to be able to express emotions in a safe place, what I personally remember and experience with this is the softness and openness on the other side. You described it well after doing the, you know, the trauma release work, you're actually able to be more in connection with other people but there's less fear I mean, nothing really changed with the subway but we get accumulated stress and inner resistance it's really a cramp and a contraction into self that um, is painful it hurts and what we don't realize is we're the one doing it and the best way i've found to release it is um somatic works which body-centered works so body-centered psychotherapy, body-centered physical um, um, yoga, physical massage, um, chiropractic work sometimes, but connecting it to emotion, not, not just mechanistically treating it like there's a mind and there's a body and they're separate, or um, what happens is that intermixing in between is where the heart gets touched and opened. and. I'm sure the viewer or the listeners can understand the difference as you were talking about that, that actually I felt your heart space kind of bloom open as you described how you felt in the subway after that. When, when we're tense and we're kind of in fear or identifying with our trauma pattern, it's, um, it, it just freaking hurts and, and you can feel it around you. People around you feel it too. Um, you're definitely right. I, I, one of the reasons I became, I was able to become a dating coach is because I was, in my opinion, 
quite in touch with a lot of this intuition. I acquired more and more tra trauma and then sort of shut down in a lot of different ways and, um, or old traumas I, I had been suppressing sort of surfaced until the point where I was really shut down and I was shut down in a couple of different relationships until I realized it was a problem and I identified that and realized I needed to do something differently. I didn't know what that was, but I was definitely a man in search of, uh, with a man with questions in search of answers. And that experience actually made me want to ask you, you said that, um, you started doing this men's work. You were married. It sounds like, um, uh, that relationship ended. Um, how did the changes that you made from your own transformation affect that relationship and affect subsequent relationships? So the changes I believe were quite positive within um, my first marriage. And I remember at times she would say, you can just go to your men's group. You come back really much better. I mean, she <laughs> felt the, um, the benefits and yet she was also very jealous of the time um, when I was away. So the fact that she was being generous with the saying, go ahead and do this. Um, Cause it felt like a, time out away from maybe the intensity of the family life and dealing with my daughter at the time. Um, so this work continued and then it hit a point when, I don't know, there was, my wife had an affair and I, but there was other tensions kind of brewing in there where we had hit a point of, um, the relationship wasn't nourishing both of us at depth and we were hanging around for the kids, um, which was fine. Um, but it hit a crisis point and the, all the work I did up to this point, um, learn how to meditate, learn how to do, um, be kind to myself and actually acknowledge my feelings was invaluable in me going through my divorce. Uh, I sat and did a lot of this Buddhist practice called Tonglen, which is you know, sending and receiving. So the normal way we go through the world is wanting to get all the good stuff. So we're trying to get the good stuff and bring it to us. And we're trying to, anything that's bad, someone, you know, yelling at us, we're trying to push the bad stuff away, right? And the practice of Tonglen is in some ways like one of these ultimate yoga practices. It reverses that flow. So you actually put your awareness on the suffering and the pain and inhale that instead of trying to push it away. And then you exhale and give away the good stuff. So I would sit on my meditation cushion for hours doing this and just crying and, you know, feeling the breakup of the marriage, wondering what's going to happen to the kids. And then, you know, sending my best intentions out to them and eventually working up to where I could, you know, send anything positive at all to my um, wife. I was separated from getting divorced from and her lover and, it loosened stuff in the chest area and in the heart to where um, I felt more alive than I'd ever been before. I lost 35 pounds of weight without dieting. I, I started running and um, it, it liberated so much because I was able to implement um, a lot of the practice, spiritual practice and physical practice I'd learned from those men's groups earlier on. Um, and, and it was totally working with the body um, or I wouldn't have got through it. And I know a lot of other guys who have gone through divorce or had similar situations would end up, you know, getting into the bottle or into drugs. And 
take years to get themselves back on track, if ever. Um, and so I'd say sitting with what the actual emotional content of what was really happening um, became sort of my phoenix rebirth, if you will. And I, I met, you know, so I would sit and actually feel the suffering pains as going through the divorce. And then what am I actually attracted to? What actually makes me feel good? Well, I could date again for the first time in 20 some years. Um, and I ended up meeting this amazing woman who was in alignment with wanting to go deep into spiritual practice of a relationship. And she had had similar teachers to what I'd had and uh, game on, you know, when I met her and we ended up getting married and I'm, I'd say it's life is better than it ever has been with her. Um, but it wouldn't have happened if I honestly hadn't got into the men's group and exposed to that book initially, um, started learning what spiritual practice is of working with emotions, working with incessant thoughts and stuff. I mean, there was a period where I was actually going through quite depressed. I was on antidepressants. I pretty much through meditation practice, got off all of that. Um, got my body back in shape. Um, used to drink way too much. I mean, a lot of ways I had was checking out and, being alive and vibrant and feeling great in my fifties is, is pretty amazing. And I'd say that in terms of sex, joy, experiences in life, it just keeps getting better in my experience, which is not what I was told or saw modeled when I was growing up. Um, Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious and I know that you are about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows, attend our live programs, let us get to know you and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I love the things that you're sharing and there's just so much to learn from your experiences. And yeah, there's so many different ways. I was thinking about all the different ways we suppress, right? Whether it's uh, drinking or drugs or different forms of prescription drugs or um, checking Facebook or Instagram or social media or overworking or um, there's just like all these different ways as human being, especially men, human beings, especially men that we, as you said, don't deal with our emotions and, and, and try to work through the voice that we all have in our head that can sort of like get louder and repeat and replay events and replay events that, traumas that we might have completed and um or feel like we haven't completed or found resolution on and 
I'm sure that there's a few pe- more than a few people who are listening who can relate to this. And even the idea about what you said about uh, losing weight, I I know that when I'm stressed, I stress eat, and when I feel good, like uh, when I'm feeling better, I I just I don't crave the same types of foods. I don't my body doesn't need as much food. Um, also, when you talked, you mentioned about the subway. When I got to the point where I started shut down on the subway, subway, it was because, as you kind of alluded to, I was under stress response all the time. And it was once I had released a lot of those things, like, yeah, I could go back on the subway or look at people directly in the eyes again, like uh, in a way that I couldn't for a long time. And I taught this stuff because I, I, I didn't feel like I was under the stress response that I was when I was carrying around all the traumas. So a lot of those things came up as you were talking. Um, yeah. I just wanted to say also that we don't learn these things as men, in my experience, unless you are almost in body-to-body proximity with another guy. So it's not some of the deepest masculine learning in my experience was like when I was just doing things with my dad and there may not have been any words communicated, you know, we would be going fishing for instance, and he was demonstrating how to kind of be in the world, even though we weren't having a lot of conversation. Um, And I found in men's groups, I've actually successfully had this happen in virtual men's groups where, you know, connecting through video conference too. Um, Those questions around how to deal with emotional intensity and situations in life that seem very challenging. Um, we're kind of monkeys. We don't know how to do anything different until we see one of the monkeys physically demonstrate something different in their life. And you'll feel it. You can, you can say, Oh, they're actually running calmness through their body while their wife's walking out on them. And they are still working. And yes, he's feeling a lot of emotions crying, but he's still moving forward. That, that's interesting. I kind of like that solidity in him and you feel it in his body and there's sort of a transmission of the possibility of that you can feel in your body when you're watching another guy go through it. Um, or just one guy in the men's group being able to say, really feel his emotions and sorrow, say over his child or over his marriage or his career. Um, it's hard to you can't stay separate. You'll feel it in your own body. And, and you also realize, Oh, this wasn't the end of the world to actually feel that. Um, those places of doing body to body transmission of this ways to get through the world and be happy. And, um, we need more of that podcast or actually a possible touching point for it. But, um, I think it's a great point. I know for me doing men's work or men's groups or men's retreats has like those type of experiences that you're describing help give me a vocabulary. And like you said, I I like the word possibility. And it's funny because I had this same conversation yesterday with a buddy of mine in a different context. He was talking about, uh, we were talking about career stuff and he's like, I really don't want to be doing what I'm doing. This is what I want to be doing. And And I said, I feel like in my own life, when I've wanted to make a shift like that, like it was one thing I could do incantations or like do affirmations or tell myself that I should be more disciplined. But 
I needed to see the possibility, see somebody else sort of doing what I was trying to do. And that opened up a lot for me. And, and the same thing is true about emotions in the men's work. It's like, for me, it's given me a much broader vocabulary for what I'm feeling, for what other people are feeling and the experiences that they might be be going through and being able to connect with that. And I also agree with what you said about podcasting, which is one of the reasons like I, I do it because for guys who are listening to this conversation, hopefully it serves in some way that same, one of my intentions is to serve, serve that same sort of purpose. Yeah. <laughs> we keep paying it forward. I mean, I think you and I have both received from, and when you're served by that, particularly if you've been gifted by some other man or some teacher, um, the response of love is to amplify it, and you 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 can't suppress it. You you have to somehow demonstrate it in the world. And if you feel suffering, there's sort of a uh, almost an irresistible pull to somehow um, try to alleviate it if you feel in your heart of hearts that you've got a little bit of a way that might reduce it. Um, that's a lot of how this work keeps getting amplified, my experience. The process of beginning to heal for me definitely made, I didn't think about it until I was around somebody who was in pain and there was a strong uh, internal need to want to help them heal that pain and figure out how to do it. And also figure out these tools, continue to figure out these tools for myself because sometimes pain resurfaces or new tra traumas arise, but I, I definitely agree. I, that's how it's amplified. This is going to amplify in my own life. And part of the reason that the podcast had shifted to in the direction that it has and the work, some of the stuff I talked to you about um, before the podcast began, some of my interests over the next, like I, I hope to pursue over the next year or two have evolved. And, um, like with that, I, I kind of want to shift a little bit. Um, a few times you've mentioned uh, relationships and intimacy, and, I, and I'm wondering if you can begin to share with the listeners how this internal work of opening up and releasing trauma and getting connected to our bodies and emotions, how that affects our most intimate relationships. Sure. So we, we, we opened up with... Uh kind of a definition of yoga and what that means. I'll talk about the yoga of intimacy or sexual yoga. Um, so being able to stay present, relaxed and open, no matter what arises in an intimate occasion um, is way different than how most people approach sex, love and marriage <laughs> and dating. Um, and, you, you'll find that a lot of things just don't satisfy. You'll you'll go through and, um, and you can date a lot of people. You can have a lot of sex with a lot of different people. You can, um, I mean, we've got an infinite variety of porn. How long does, um, you know, masturbating and, and having an orgasm last? It feels really good in the moment, but where's the long-term satisfaction and particularly this, ache in the solar plexus and the heart that tends to drive a lot of our suffering. If you think of really where that's located, um, I've found that the seed of love is somehow wants to be expressed bodily and sexuality is one of the 
most natural places where your authentic self seems to show and shine. It's also one of the more vulnerable places to really be seen and to express ourselves. Your body is completely naked and you're trying to connect with another person. There's, there's kind of a normal arc of, you know, there's body to body attraction and there's sort of this animal urge to have sex. And then they maybe migrates toward, um, you know, just we get to where it's nice and consensual and and both partners feel served by it and there's maybe friends with benefits is one of the ultimate kind of forms of that or a, a cooperative marriage um but my teachers have actually demonstrated and talked about the possibility and kind of ruined me about talking about this deep spiritual practice of intimacy um where you take maybe some of the pieces you've talked about in men's work or even couples work of opening your heart, being vulnerable, feeling emotions. And that's the juicy stuff of life. That's why people remember a holotropic breath sequence or an ayahuasca journey that was life changing. There's an emotional intensity content to that that somehow ripped away these limiting ways we hold ourselves and instead of feeling like we're just isolated, separate people on the subway, avoiding eye contact. The difference of being able to make eye contact, feel love in your heart, actually connect with people. I mean, it's possible to do that on the subway with lots of people, but a deep journey in this, I've found, is done in a partnership where you've set the boundaries of that container and it's it's completely open about what you're going to be able to do with your body sexually and emotionally with this other person. Um, you're, you're pretty much peeling away those layers of resistance to your deepest self. And you can't see what those are yourself. We don't really have the ability to do that as readily as if we have a mirror of a partner. And I find, um, potential for spiritual realization or dying wide open, happy, fully given. Um, I know of no other way to get there faster and like a blazing comet through the sky than doing it in an intimate relationship. And sexuality can be approached more than just kind of chasing orgasms. It can be peeling away our resistance to showing that vulnerable stuff like you were talking about in a men's group just the initial resistance to even express emotions look at them show them um that can be completely unwound with an intimate partner and the layers are infinitely deep and your vulnerability and ability to feel particularly feel emotion heart-centered belly-centered intensity combine that with your genitals um it, very few people realize what's possible in a human body, frankly, and, and what the depth of love is available and possible in an intimate relationship. We have an intuition to it, but um, it, it's, um, I have a hard time talking to people about this because we don't believe it, but you know, you can, orgasms aren't a single event. You can actually relax open to where a state of orgasm becomes almost continuous and it can go for hours and hours. And, and even when you're not having physical intercourse with your partner, you can maintain a, 
a deep state of connected feeling awareness where it'll feel like you're having sex and this can be the normal course but it'll it'll also have ups and downs and it'll have you know probably arguments it'll have you know dealing with the daily life but that really satisfying juicy um god this is why i was put into a body kind of realization that's what we all seem to hunger for and and it it comes at the sacrifice of our separate self of our feeling of separateness and and that i touched on initially that when if you're in a tight yoga asana and you think you're going to die physically your sense of egoic identification feels like it's going to die your body isn't really going to break you're not hurting anything it just has that sensation that i want out well, that's your ego flashing and that's the very thing that's keeping you away from the love you want the keeping you away from the depth and joy of being blissful in the moment um, a good sexual practice partner will help you peel that away and keep calling you back into the your depth of being calling you back into expressing being consciousness being love um, and like I, I guide people in that and you know i've learned a lot from my teachers on it i wouldn't say it's a you know just do something once and have it done it's a it's an ongoing path a bunch of questions come up one of the first ones is for somebody who's never experienced it what does it mean or feel like to have a continuous orgasm okay so um well, I'm going to talk with some of my clients. So I talk with men. I work a lot with men on them developing their multi-orgasmic capacity. So orgasm and ejaculation can be two separate things. So literally, if you if you start breaking things down to like the millisecond level, um, the experience of that bliss of pleasure actually spikes first, and then the prostate starts contracting, and you know, and it starts dumping everything. Um, Practicing relaxing open as consciousness, you almost have the capacity to kind of stretch out time and stop that inevitable cascade where you're just going into emptiness. Nothing wrong about that. But there's often, if you watch the classic O face on people, um, most people, a lot of people close their eyes and they kind of withdraw on themselves. They kind of get, it's my fix. You know, people get angry if they don't have their orgasm because it's, I want my fix. And the yogic practice of open sexuality, I mean, not, you know, open a lot of peer partners I'm talking about with your intimate other or even with yourself and the divine, um, is a melting open and not a collapsing into that inner place of going to zero now what it feels like physically i talk about in my body as a man it's possible through masturbation self-pleasure to have i don't know many orgasms i want and not ejaculate um, and they can keep increasing in intensity to i would say if a normal ejaculatory orgasm was say a 10 there's levels of a hundred and a thousand that are possible literally um, you know, it, it, it actually gets to where my level of practice, an ejaculative orgasm feels good, but it's, and I, as soon as it happens, it's almost like it was a sneeze. And the desire for more sex has decreased. So then it's like that whole freight train of power and thickness of love kind of goes away. There might be a relief in it, but 
if you start uh, actually living more in that state of when peaks sexual attraction is happening and flowing between you and your partner, why would you want that to end? Um, and at the core of this is that, you know, if you look at medical research, 95, 98% of men ejaculate within three to five minutes. That's normal once you've entered in penetration. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how our bodies are wired to procreate. But there's also the possibility of extending that out for hours. And you don't know what happens after the five minute mark. And biologically, there's sort of this curious thing if men are wired to ejaculate in, you know, five minutes or less, women don't really start touching on some of these deeper orgasmic states until after, at least my experience, my teacher's experience, you know, probably around, at least particularly for the first time, up to about 45 minutes to an hour of penetration. I'm not talking about just clitoral stimulus. I'm talking about that there's there's clitoral orgasms in women. We're learning G-spot orgasms. There's there's anterior fornix, posterior fornix. There's there's orgasms around the cervix. The uterus is possible to have an orgasm. The whole body can light up an orgasm. Um, and as those progress from outer surface into depth, the amount of pleasure, I say, is probably logarithmic. So, you know, it's it's like I'd say for my partner, I know a clitoral orgasm feels good. She spot orgasm, oh my fucking god, and then cervical orgasms. The heavens are opening. This can go on for hours, and then when it transitions to like uterine orgasms or the whole body. Um, the whole body's splayed open, the hands are wide open, the feet are, you know, the toes are reaching, the, the face, the mouth is open, the eyes are crying. It's 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 profound openness in body. It's, it's like what you get a touch of maybe in holotropic breath toward the end, but you're doing it in relationship with someone else. Maybe you're actually looking into someone's eyes during that time and you feel this love arcing between the two of you. It's just melting you both open. Um, I would say it's on the order of even deeper than some experiences of ayahuasca, LSD, and other psychedelics. So that can be reached just through the body and no drugs on board. Um, it's not something most people experience, and yet all bodies, I believe, are capable of that. Um, but it takes a deep surrender of self perspective and profound trust in you don't know what your body's going to do when you start opening to these levels. And for the men, you have to be identified with something deeper than just the genital need to throw off that energy. It becomes, you start finding that you as consciousness and feeling awareness. So it feels really good to have your cock inside of something warm and soft. And um, your awareness can spread to where you don't just contract down to being the tip of your penis or you're just your genitals. You, you feel your whole body at the same time. So your consciousness can take all that genital pleasure and spread it through your whole body. The way to do that is often through breath practice. So breath and awareness kind of are bonded together. And then at some point it transitions to where your consciousness is actually it, it, it's inside your partner. You're, you're, you're feeling her orgasmic states as your own, and she's got a 
multiple orders of magnitude more potential than any man's body has for pleasure. So when you plug into that, um, that's, that's makes it worth being in a human body in my opinion. Um, and <laughs> I like to guide people into getting taste of that. Um, and it, 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 you can't do this in a, without having some deep, deep safety and feeling that this partner's going to be at least around for a little bit. Um, because it's, it's a, it's a surrender for both of you and to, um, great openness and where you direct that, um, whatever you experience at the moment of orgasm becomes amplified in your neurology. So, um, there's a reason that when I teach guys how to undo, you know, there's just unconscious masturbation habits that guide them to, you always want more of that same thing. You can actually shift the way that you pleasure yourself into something that actually invites space and room for another partner. And also allows room to integrate in some of these emotion feeling states we're talking about that, you know, getting the heart and the solar plexus open, that emotional satisfaction part can also become something incorporated in sex. Whereas a lot of men, it's just a, you see an image of something you want and it goes right to genitals. It's often the whole heart motion, solar plexus that are totally disconnected during sex. And that's just why we're wired for procreation purpose. But as we're awakening more as humans, um, people are craving more. They want more. And particularly as women are awakening to the depth of their sexuality, um, they're wanting men to meet them there. And there aren't a lot of resources I haven't found for men to be able to learn how to hell do that. I mean, women are just advancing so fast past men in the sexual realm in terms of even just look at the sexual toys that are available and the ways they're learning um, how to have ejaculative G-spot orgasms and deeper cervical orgasms. It's, it's culturally becoming something that's more normal and they need men to be able to meet them in that space and not feel that they're kind of over reaching their partner's capacity, which is easy to happen. So men are actually served by, again, kind of men's group sometimes of being able to, you know, is there one monkey that's figured this out that you can talk about how you can navigate a woman who's, you know, going to be coming for three hours straight. So, you know, that's useful. Um, for a guy who's listening to this and, and this is like, this sounds like, um, impossible <laughs> or, or not real. Like how, like where would they start? Right. You mentioned the men's group, but like, and maybe that is the place to start. I was thinking more along the lines of like when they enter the bedroom or like they initiate intimacy with somebody, like how should they, they be approaching this if they're trying to build deeper connection and intimacy? Sure. So, I mean, a couple of the source books I work with, so I, I do coaching. And so I offer a free one hour session to, anybody that wants to kind of connect and I'll give you some introductory practices. So beginning practices to learn how to masturbate differently. So it, it's really bringing more consciousness into something that is almost uh, an unconscious action. And as you bring more awareness into that, um, you can learn how to stretch that out 
And I mean, there's a lot of things on Reddit and on the web about men learning how to have non-ejaculatory orgasm. A lot of it based on some Taoist practice. The Mantek Chia books are a good introduction, but then they have a lot of esoteric language that puts people off and maybe they get frustrated and can't practice it. Um, it's, it's very doable to learn how to separate your orgasm from your ejaculation. That's the initial first step. That's what I work with on most guys to initially get to that point. And then once you've got there, then you can, there's a whole realm of partner practice you can start doing. Um, David Data's book, The Enlightened Sex Manual is a great one. It has a lot of the basic practices, but they're so um, short and succinctly written, very well done, um, that often there's a, a hell of a lot of questions about what does that mean? How do you do that? That's where coaching or maybe a men's circle can be really helpful to have guys talking about it. But I'm meeting more and more men that have the ability to have non-ejaculatory orgasms. So just being able to share that in a men's group is kind of profound, frankly. Um, and like I said, if you get one monkey in the group that knows how to do it and you ask questions, it becomes a possibility. Whereas before you didn't even know it was a possibility. Um, there, another great book is uh, Sherry Winston's uh, Women's Anatomy of Arousal. So you as a male practitioner of learning how women actually get aroused and what that arousal cycle is like, what their anatomy of their genitals really is and What's the difference between a clitoral orgasm, a G-spot orgasm, and cervical orgasm? I mean, how do you actually navigate her body better than she knows it? That's actually probably what she's wanting. I mean, to talk about devotion being evoked in a sexual partner. If you learn how to open her body more than she's able to open it in herself, um, and you actually demonstrate total love and acceptance of everything about her. I mean, we all have hang-ups and negative self-views deep sex can help transcend those so that that's some of those books are great places to start um like encourage them to reach out to me and i share resources i mean if i'll give everybody a, a head start on where you can start with that but for most men it's it's consciously changing how you masturbate i'm not a, a no fap kind of person i mean that's fine actually there's a lot of place and time to abstain from any kind of sexual contact for a little bit just maybe purge your system but then you won't learn how to have a deeper sexual capacity unless you practice. So it's a form of yoga. Learn how to touch your own genitals so that you don't explode within 30 seconds. I mean, if you do have a, what's even clinically determined as, um, you know, premature ejaculation, say under a minute, um, often just more soft self-awareness and touching yourself and learning your genitals and getting to where you can ride that edge. Um, it's, it's not rocket science, but it takes patience and it takes allocating a little bit of resources to it and not just driving ahead toward so that remember I said in yoga, there's that, I don't want to the part of you that wants to scream and just leave the room. Well, that's the exact same part that says, I want my orgasm. I just want to ejaculate. I want to go to sleep. And, there's nothing wrong with that, but you can watch it. It's almost like an id part of ourself, and that's not your deepest self. And if you keep kowtowing to it, it's sort of like you've got a petulant teenager in your room. Um, they're not a really good roommate. You don't want them. They're just going to leave the place trashed, and you're going to be pissed off. So learn how to kind of tame that inner id, if you will, and 
over time, you'll have enough capacity to actually have space for a, a real partner to be there with you while you're doing that. And you can guide her through it. So we, whatever, th whatever you can't navigate inside your own body, there's no way you can guide another person through that. A masterful lover has learned how to navigate their own body into deep states of pleasure and not throw off the energy. And that's the guy that will be able to take a woman deeper than she's ever been in her life. And it takes patience. You can learn. Every woman's different. So, um, so it sounds like what you're saying is um, where guys normally masturbate to ejaculate, um, you're saying that men are encouraging men who are listening to this to masturbate closer to the edge of ejaculation and explore as a, an exploration of themselves and their bodies and their needs right. in, the yeah, same, in the same way that women, many women do. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the statistics, Pornhub has great statistics on the average length of stay. I mean, most guys are on there for, you know, it's under five minutes. There's a reason that that's how long it takes to ejaculate. And then they just turn it off. You know, you want to build up to where you can do a solo masturbation practice for 30 minutes to an hour. You ultimately want to get up to an hour. Now, just, you know, you can just Google the term edging. It's working up to an edge and then stopping and breathing. So you, you get sexually aroused, you're getting really close. I, I, I use the rocket liftoff analogy, it's 10, nine, eight. you get down to the T minus three, the engines are firing. And that's the point where you wanna to learn to hover this damn ship, not let it just shoot straight up. So that's really useful. <laughs> and And it takes patience and sort of, Sharpening your awareness to be able to relax in that moment takes breath, not tension. So most O faces are all tension. So it's relaxation is what deep sex looks like. It's relaxed face. It's big, juicy. You're wide open like you've, I don't know, like you've done a lot of MDMA or something. It's it, but that combined with sexual pleasure. Um, you don't have to have the drugs on board to access this. You do it through relaxation and breath. Um, and then once you've extended it out um, to say 60 minutes, you got a capacity to do that. You're a very useful man for a lot of women because she's going to discover states inside of her that probably very few people have been able to get her to, or unless she's had a patient teacher, so she talked to other women and you know maybe explored her own body and discovered those states. But there's something really more satisfying having a real person being inside you doing that than, you know, fantasizing, doing toys, nothing wrong with that. But there's a yearning for this unpredictable partner, what they're going to do to you. That um, is really delicious, why we crave it. Um, I want to ask you about a couple other things. I mean, I think, I'll think all, all this is awesome. Um, you mentioned your partner as a mirror, and you talked about ego and the peeling a way of ego. Can you talk about what that means in intimacy, especially sexual intimacy? Yeah. So I would say um, I, I teach a lot of what in Buddhist terms would be consort practice, meaning you've got a an intimate partner who they're they're fallible. They're they're who they are. They're obviously not a fully realized God being. Yet you see them as actually a representation of the divine or 
women in particular, authentic Tantra, women are used as um, very insightful sources of wisdom. Their body is in tune with the infinite and through the right kind of guidance can you can she'll always respond to whether you are open as love and consciousness or whether you're collapsing or whether you're expressing some kind of tension and anything less than love in your body. So and and a man will feel whether his intimate partner, man or woman, but if you know somebody has to play the consciousness, somebody has to play the light, um, the the person playing the consciousness bowl will feel whether their intimate partner is expressing their full openness of love and light and that they feel radiantly alive and being ravished by pleasure rippling through their body. Right. You can tell that. I mean, that's why guys often tune into porn. It's, it's seeing someone in a, particularly a woman in, in a state of pleasure. So you both know, you can see the other partner and you can keep, guiding them from the places of collapse or withholding or doing something that is dorky and not expressing love. You can keep through humor and sexual invitation, keep bringing them back into expressing more. Give me, give me more of your conscience. Like my partner, right? She'll, um, I would tilt my head a little bit to the left or right and it drove her nuts. She was just, it didn't look, conscious it didn't feel good in her body so because she would twinge and get turned off i learned to lengthen my spine keep my neck straight and my chest open that's a powerful different body communication than a collapsed chest and tilting my head which is kind of a sign of subservience that you know dogs and other animals do to each other so she was evoking more of that power, consciousness, and directed presence in me. And I would keep praising her every time that she felt pleasure in her body. I would say, yeah, more of that. I would. She wasn't even aware sometimes that, you know, there's a little twinge of pleasure, and it would be in some situation that maybe be embarrassing. I would guide and evoke more of that from her. I'm like, yeah, I know that looks kind of nasty or dirty or whatever, but more give me more of that so we're both evoking a deeper expression of happiness bliss sexual pleasure out of each other no matter how dirty or raunchy it seems so you might even end up doing some of these crazy things that are weird genres of porn um just because it kind of evokes something and it makes your partner light up and you it's not like you're trying to drive towards some fetish but Often any area that feels dark and twisted and, and something you want to hide and go back within, kind of egoically withdraw, if your partner can see that contraction and call you forth to melt open into it, actually, no, 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 show me your, your ass or whatever was considered dirty and nasty um, and actually praise it as love, you're opening the whole body into being appreciated and as a source of pleasure. Um, and that heals things. It, it, it heals you. It heals not just you. It, I believe and my teachers have taught you're kind of epigenetically even healing 
pain and, you know, twisted wrong relationships for multiple generations going backwards. There's, there, and if you have children and you transcend some of these limits and abusive relationship patterns and learn how to express love deeply and sexually, um, your children pick that up and the next generation is freed in a lot of ways, even just a little bit. So we're in, in that way, we're actually healing the whole planet by somehow owning our sexuality and expressing it with less shame and more openness and just owning the deliciousness of what these bodies are capable of before they rot and die. So. That's beautiful. I know we're getting towards the end of our, our time. Any sort of last suggestions, thoughts, words of wisdom for the men who are, or, or women who are listening to this who want to develop deeper intimacy and anything else you want to add to any of the things that we talked about? Well, I would recommend going within and being brutally honest with yourself. What do you most want? And it, it tends to have some source of arising that there's a rush to it in terms of the emotional intensity. You might feel it in your genitals, you might feel it in your belly, you might feel it in your chest and your heart, you might feel it in your throat. And to um, own that as a potential source of life force, and it might just be kinked up and locked away, it might be viewed as a, a liability or a problem. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that in the right practice container and with set up with the right intimate partner, um, all of that energy can be liberated and shine through your life as love. And it'll empower you and give you the energy to succeed in your career. Um, you know, it'll, it'll change your family. It'll change your intimate relationships. Um, it's that, that private sense of I'm in here. No one understands me. And, we go back to the subway, you know, when you're feeling I'm, I've got so much emotional intensity locked up in me. I can't even look at people on the subway. I feel fear. I feel, um, at my edge, drop into the body and let the intelligence of your body of, of accepting what's really there, feeling it. And there's a softness and a genuineness, even if you just do this in solo alone, um, that liberates something that, that, there's a, there's a really good feeling after you've had a deep cry, believe it or not, that you, you feel more alive, you're more supple. And that's a clue toward where um, deep intimacy can be and what sexual um, intimacy is possible. I mean, that feeling of being fully given and, and yet also that soft, open heart part. Nothing wrong with athletic sex and just bodies having sex, but there's a yearning for that emotional portion of ourselves to be fully revealed, cherished and accepted and, you know, to claim the, the partner fully to where they're just blown away in love. Um, we all have a, a heart of that. And there are some great teachers out there that can guide toward it. I know David Data, Sophia Diaz. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll point you in the way and I'll point you toward other people too, if I can't serve you, but I um, encourage everyone to reach out and keep listening to these podcasts. Um, we'll close it there. It's been an honor. Thank you, Chris. 
Thank you, Christopher. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for sharing so much of your wisdom and yourself with us. If you want to find out more about Christopher and all the work that he's doing, I'm going to post some links on the Craft of Christmas website and within the description of the podcast so that you can find out about him and all his work more easily. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Well, thank you for setting us up and reaching out. I appreciate it. It's been a great time. It's dating coach Chris Thona here. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.